Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude. It is a decision. It is a project. It is a journey. It is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. I am so excited to have my new friend who 100% feels like a soul sister. The first time we ever spoke, I just bared all, which is not my norm. And Lisa is here from Australia. And it's morning where she is and it's evening where I am, but it's sunny where we both are. Lisa, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's in Melbourne. It is morning and it isn't sunny. The weather has been so strange. Your house Since, is sunny. I know there's always this beautiful light that comes through, especially at this time of the day. That's why I actually chose this house when I separated. Wow. Because of the light and this room is, it is, it's, it is my haven. It's where I film it's where I live it's where my kids reside in this sort of space but um so thank you and I feel the same and when you said you know you don't often open up you know the way you did this is the experience I have with everyone that I meet they find themselves sharing things and I've always it's always been that way and I think when I was younger it was very difficult to manage because I didn't I there wasn't the boundary between myself and others so because I'm an empath and I'm deeply sensitive I would take on that but now what I am able to do more and more is to sit with what the experience is, is of another it's not always a way right <laughs> but more and more I can sit and I can hold space because I one of the things I've had to learn is that there is nothing to fix so when you're sharing what you're sharing I don't mm. need to fix something for oh you oh my god I just love that so much I need to be able to sit with your experience and your pain and whatever it is. And the more I can do that for myself, the more I'm then able to hold that safe space for another without needing or feeling. That is unbelievable. So a couple of things, you know, when the universe keeps telling something over and over. So I keep hearing these two words, hold space, hold space. And that is what this is about. That's what must love self is about is, we get to hold space for each other. And when you just said there is nothing to fix, and that's the exact opposite of everything we've been taught our entire lives. We need to mm. fix our bodies. We need to fix our looks. We need to fix the way we behave, the way we talk, the way we act, how we are in careers, how we are in marriages, how we as a mother constantly needs to be fixed. Right. And this mm. is not what this is about. Will you tell us a little bit of background of what you do professionally? We are also both just talking about the transitions we're going through and excitement we feel. Tell us a little bit about that. Mm. So as I shared just before we press record, I do feel like I'm on the precipice of something new. So I am, you know, I started the Good News Guide, which is a podcast and a YouTube channel because I'm very visual and it was a very deep calling inside of me that this was a show. Yes, it was a podcast, but it was more so a visual show. 
So it is on a, it is on YouTube. So it, it, I interview, I mean, I don't want to say interview. I'm in conversation with people that I consider to be thought leaders and change makers and experts, not necessarily the well-known ones, but the ones that I believe are here to change the world. And there are so many of them, obviously, these days. Um, and so my whole premise is that I've, for years, I've connected people to people, people to resources, people to ideas, to insights. And so this show is really to connect people with people they can potentially work with who are in the transformational space. So anyone that's working anyone that's sort of uh, coaching in love, in relationships, in parenting, in um, helping people with um, wealth, you know, their wealth and abundance challenges, uh, human genius and potential, sexology and embodiment. So I kind of cover a wide range, but essentially plugging people into trusted sources. So the whole idea of the Good News Guide was to be to create a, a platform that was one of high integrity. So people could trust that whoever I was in conversation with, that I'd either worked with them or they had been seriously, I want to say the word vetted because I don't. And I shared this with you when we first chatted. I don't just bring anyone on. I need to know that the work they're doing is in alignment, in resonance, in the same frequency as that which I would work with. I love that so much. And it's also a spiritual lesson that I keep learning especially as a woman is not to say yes all the time and to slow mm. down and really ask myself, is this in alignment? I want mm. you to define your definition of integrity because I think it really closely is connected to everything that must love self is about and what we're trying to get to. What is your definition mm. of integrity? Being in integrity with self. So what I say is what I feel, what is true for me. So if there's something inside of me that's not in alignment with what I'm saying, what I'm doing outside of me, that's out of integrity. So I'm constantly calling myself back home. We talked about this mm. home to self to ask myself, is what I'm doing in alignment with what is inside of me? Mm. Am I being called to do something in order to bring myself back into integrity? So I've had to make some big calls, big decisions, have what I would consider the more difficult conversations because it's inside of me and I have either been prepared to settle for something, ignore something, avoid something, because it's not bad. It's not bad in inverted commas. It's okay. But if I come back and I ask myself, is this true for me? If it's not, then I have to then go about cleaning it up making the change, having the conversation. So to live in integrity is a constant asking oneself, am I, am I living in alignment with my inner world? And is that being expressed externally? Is that oh, true I love for that me? so much. Can I just tell you, one of the things I do in coaching for Must Love Self, whether I do it in you know, small groups or one-on-one, -on -one, is I really use the four agreements to <laughs> help women through, right? And the number one first agreement is to be impeccable with your word, which is the exact same thing as what you were just saying to be integrity, be in integrity with yourself is what I'm saying and feeling true for me. Is it my truth, not your truth, mine, and not because I think you want me to say it. Because if I agree to something and it's not true for me, inevitably it's going to fall apart because eventually the truth always comes out, right? Mm. Mm. 
And it's also not giving, it's what we forget is I believe that if we are not being impeccable with our word, then that is actually not for the benefit or greater advantage of those people outside of us. But when we are impeccable with our word, showing up and speaking and being and feeling and acting in accordance with our true selves, then not only does that give permission, but it's also a sense of safety for others because it's safe when we are showing up in integrity with ourselves. People know, even if they don't feel it, it, you you can can feel feel it. it. That's right. All right. I can't wait to get started. My first question is why did you say yes to this conversation today? It was, it was for me, I'm so deeply connected to my intuition. Now there was no mental going through. It was of course, it's a yes. I read the blurb about what you're doing with this. And I was like, tick, tick, tick. It's so in resonance mm-hmm. because obviously the history of what I've experienced. A hundred percent. And we're going to mention it later, but will you tell us the name of the book that you wrote? Sure. The Dawn of Hope, One Woman's Path Back to Love. Which I didn't even know that you wrote that until today, which is about <laughs> your struggles and your journey through bulimia and to health. So we're going to get there. I um, very much care about women owning our age. How old are you? 49. Have you ever been in the mindset or around women that don't want to admit their age? Yes. So much and so much lately. Why? It's so silly. So I was, I've been talking about this and I'm like, when you think about it, Lisa, can you imagine if you were caught lying about your age? That's like ridiculous. Do you know what I think it is? I, I And I just dropped in then. I feel it's because women feel they haven't lived. Mm, I never thought of it like that. I, always I had thought neither it was until about, then. Right, I always thought it was about because they want to be perceived as young and attractive. But say it again what you think it is. It just came through. I think there is definitely relevance in what we look like. But also women, I wonder... This is a question. I wonder whether women get to this age and there's a sense of something inside that is not full. You know, they've got whatever the world that they've created, whatever the life, but there's something missing. And so there's that running out of time. I love that. And I very much think that it's important for us as humans to think about that concept of why do you think you have so much time left? And that urgency, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, like, what do you want to do with this beautiful life? Mm. Before we Mm. go on, I want you to give me a rating in three areas. And I'm going to ask you between one and 10, where you see yourself today and where the lowest you've been is. One is I'm a monster to myself. 10 is I'm pretty awesome. And I'm, and I'm aware of my awesomeness. Mm. Where would you rate yourself today when it comes to your body image? Seven. And what's the lowest number? Oh, uh, zero. Was that in the middle of your bulimia? Yes. What about your ability to know your worth today and where you belong and what you need, how you need to be treated? Mm. So it's, a, it's a, I'm not going to say all the time because this is the thing. I fall in and out of yes. knowing my worth when I'm connected to yes. something greater than my, my small egoic self. So more and more, I would say it's more eight. But then where I've experienced, it would be nothing. There is no self-worth. So today, when I also go 
back and forth my worth when I'm in, like you said, when I'm in the place where I'm connected, I know mm. I'm a perfect child of God. I know that mm. I belong here. I know that there's nothing that I could do or say mm. to change that love from the universe. But then when it comes to career stuff or sometimes single parenting stuff or co-parenting stuff or issues, even as, you know, sometimes I remember I'm going to be 42 soon. And I still wonder at what age am I going to stop feeling like I'm going to disappoint my parents? Like at what age is that going to go away? So that worth, that's when it kind of gets a little bit wishy-washy. What about yours? Mm. What, what changes yours? Yeah. So it's interesting. So I would say the self-worth in regards to connecting to myself as a parent that I've done some deep work recently with somebody, you know, you mean you. Oh, she's amazing. And so <laughs> that is transformed. She is amazing. That is completely transformed my sense of self and my worthiness and who I believe to be as a parent, I would say that would be, mm, I would say really eight to nine. As a parent. I'm feeling for the first time ever, like this is the first time ever I can sit here and go, I am I am a beautiful mum. Yeah. So they did well choosing me. I did well choosing yes, them. Yes. When it comes to career, that's what, that's what hijacks me. Because when I'm connected to all that I am, it's a 10. There's no question. I mean, as we know, there's no, there's, there's no mental questioning of that. My, my go-to, my conditioning has been to question, question whether I'm doing the right thing, question whether I should be doing something more, something different. So that has been, and this is becoming really apparent recently, you know, having built the good news guide and creating a lot of value. It's now coming back to, okay, but what about me and my message? What about me showing up and speaking? And so that has had me, that has pulled me down to oh, a four or five Yes, at times. Yeah. When you're talking about that, we were talking earlier because I relate very much. So I think that my worth goes down when it comes to career moves because of fear. Because if I'm in the moment and I'm trusting my power and I know by looking back that I've never been let down and I've mm -hmm. never not had what I needed, that when I try to figure it all out and I can't see what's ahead, that's all fear. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one. Mm -hmm. What would you rate your ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself, not for your kids, not for anyone else, for yourself? Oh, I'm high. That is high. Yep. Like uh, what number? I want to say nine. Then what, I'm is like, the, what is the lowest it's ever been? Oh, zero. <laughs> when was that? Yeah, no, no voice. No voice. Ah, oh, most of my life, really. really? Until the part. Yeah. Yep. I'm excited to hear about that because I don't feel that at all, which means you've done a ton of work. I want to go back to when you were little. When you were a little girl growing up, I want you to tell us about the women that you saw growing up around you as an example, mm -hmm. whether positive or negative or both. What did you see in terms of what a woman should be like or shouldn't be like or how you should dress or carry yourself or speak or be in the universe? Mm. So the woman, my mom, mm -hmm. who I'm really close to now, mm -hmm. we've done a lot of healing work. And um, she was the primary woman in my life, as for most of us. And we lived overseas for a number of years when I was um, so away from Australia. Her family was in Australia. And so she was the primary woman in my life. And I saw my experience of that was 
looking back from what I can remember is a woman that was not, I could remember her feeling that she wasn't happy and the relationship she was in and still is in was not a happy relationship. You could feel and see that and know that. I knew it. There was stuff that was going on. She even communicated. I knew that. So I knew that from the feeling, but then it was confirmed. And so I grew up around women that settled. Mm, That's so uncomfortable. That was my biggest fear ever. And wasn't powerful and wasn't living a joyous life. There was really no joy. And lonely, actually. Mm -hmm. Lonely. And then there was my grandmother who was, um, you know, now that I look back at the relationship, I felt very judged. And that was, bless my mum, that was her experience of her her, you know, her growing up. So that was then translated into. So I grew up around women that were settling, um, not powerful, not happy, and highly critical, obviously, of themselves. But then that was my experience being in relationship with them, relating to them. So what were they critical of? Everything? Everything. <laughs> Everything. It's hard to imagine that you came from that and became so full of joy, which we're going to get to. At what age did you specifically become self-conscious either about your body or your looks or your worth, whether it was in school or attraction or attention? Mm, I think really around, it was probably years sort of, so secondary school, not so much junior, um, not that I can really recall. I changed schools and when I changed schools, I went to a private girls' school that was, well, that's what we call them in Australia, and there were a lot of beautiful-looking girls. Well, in my perception, beautiful-looking girls, I did not see myself as beautiful at all, did not see myself as attractive did at all. Did you know that before you got to the school? Not really. It was highlighted when I went to the school. So it was probably grade six, so the end of junior school and then moving into secondary school. And then it was really, because then the boys came into the picture and we had this thing called dancing class where we went and had this thing. I don't know if you have that in America where you have that with other schools. And and I always felt like I was the one that was, wasn't chosen because we had these awful situations Ugh. where the guy would choose the girl. That was horrible. Oh, my goodness. No wonder. I mean, Imagine, I think I was chosen, but I wasn't chosen by the boys that were choosing inverted commas, the pretty ones in my perception. And so, yeah, and then with the depression that I was experiencing um, and the deep disconnect with myself and others around me feeling like I didn't belong in this environment, that led me to put on a lot of weight. Well, I say a lot of weight, a lot of weight compared compared to where I was when I first joined the school. So you're using food to deal with like the yucky feelings. Oh yeah. I numbed. I numbed. Didn't your mother say anything to you during that time? Look, I think she encouraged me to look after my weight and to, you know, because I did, I, I, I I bloomed. Mm -hmm. I, I got larger and I, if I look back at those, those photos and some of them are in the book, it wasn't me. I was in a body, 
but the body was protecting me and the food was numbing all the stuff. I wasn't conscious of it at the time, of course, because if I was, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have chosen to do it. But that led, you know, that was a that was an excruciating period of my life because that then led to me being expelled from two two of the best girls' schools in Melbourne, Australia. So I was in deep, deep disconnect, deep depression. What happened to cause that? Were you just misbehaving? Oh, just just didn't want to be at school. And so I found a way of rebelling against the teachers and they just couldn't control me. And so there was two schools consecutively that asked me to leave in the space of one year. And so by the time I was 16, I was taken and sent to a high school because my father was like, I'm done, you know, I'm not, no schools want you and we'll just send you to the local, um, the local high school, which was a big shock to the system when you've been part of a private, yeah, private. Wait, I have school. a question. Do you think that looking back now with your brain and your body today and soul that you were rebelling and you got kicked out because you didn't feel like you fit in? And you didn't feel safe and secure there. So you mm. did everything you could to get out. What do you think was the reason why you were doing that? Yeah, because I didn't belong inside my family. I didn't belong to me. I didn't feel like I belonged. It was too painful to be in this environment where I didn't belong. So my unconscious mind, my soul actually probably found a way of reject, of, of forcing me out of a school environment for me. It's all part of the learning, isn't it? It's part of this whole life journey. I needed to experience that to then take me to the place of deep, dark depression, which led to the bulimia. So it was, it was a, it was a deep feeling of loneliness and not belonging that had me. I'm hearing this a lot. So, you know, the cool thing about what I'm doing is I get to talk to women from all over the world, all different walks of life, but you keep seeing things come up. And my grandmother, who I, I interviewed recently, she's 87, and she moved to America after surviving the Holocaust. And when she was 15, she moved here after living in 10 different countries and in displaced persons, lost her whole family, except for her immediate family. And she said that the girls in America, when she got here, were so mean to her and told her, like, she needs to do this and not do this and change this about herself. And she said she was willing to do anything to belong. And I think there's something there for a lot of us to look at. I mean, there's plenty of women that have always had very close relationships. And I was never one of those. I just never had I had people that looked like they were my friends but I never let anybody in and I never felt like I belonged or like, as soon as you guys really found out who I was, you'd be like, peace out. And mm -hmm. there's something about belonging mm -hmm. because you said earlier that you need to return home. And I said, for me, my returning home is to myself. I needed to find what that is within myself. But I think there's something there that connects it for both of us that when we feel like we belong and we are worth, even if somebody in the room seems like we don't match up. I don't feel insecure about it today because I love who I am, hmm. but I definitely did not then. And so returning home for me is returning home to self. Yes. That, that, that's been this whole process. A hundred percent. Of being abandoned me in the process of thinking there was something deeply wrong with me and spent the last 14 years coming home to me. Will you tell me a little bit about your bulimia, like when it started, what, what your like, life was like, a little bit of background into that? Mm, so I was just out of school 
and I'd put on a lot of weight and I was going out with a guy whose best friend's girlfriend was a dancer and she was so beautiful and had a gorgeous body and it just and because I had a deeply conditioned pattern of comparing myself which has been ongoing and is something that I'm is not doesn't have its tight grip now but it certainly is something even six months ago that I was still uncovering unraveling unfolding from so having, you know, being deep, being somebody that compared myself, this girl was right there in my face. You know, we saw them all the time. So that triggered a desire to be different, desire to be thin because I saw myself as ugly, disgusting, not attractive. And I didn't even know what bulimia was until that first time that I threw up. I didn't, I didn't know anyone that had had bulimia. I didn't. I just, it wasn't in my realm. It wasn't in my world. And I remember the first time, I, yeah, it was about six months after school. And they they say, they say in inverted commas, the experts say that that, that is that time between um, 18 to 25, that transition in big transitions. And obviously I'd come out of school. I hadn't done well in school because I was so disconnected. I hardly turned up to school. And so I hadn't got into anything, any course that I really wanted to do. I was kind of, Lost. I'd, fa- I'd failed. Mm. I was floating in nothing. There was, you know, I wasn't, there was no purpose for anything. And so it was developed, you know, I developed that. No one knew. So my boyfriend who I went out with for three years didn't know. My parents didn't know. My friends didn't know because I was just on my own. And so I on and off had the eating disorder for 20, almost 20 years. And there were periods. So you had it as a mother after having babies? Yes. Yes. But my husband didn't know. Isn't it interesting that you can do that, that you can keep that secret. And I actually think there's power in there. So we obviously know that eating disorders a lot of the times, at least for me, are about control and power. And I never even thought of that extra layer about having something that no one else knows. Because I remember that feeling when I would come back to the table after being in the bathroom, because I could you know, make myself throw up so easily and knowing that I was going to sit down and smile and you had absolutely no idea what happened. I didn't have that experience. I was so, I have to say, Carly, during that time, it was like, I wasn't even in my body. I didn't you didn't even know, know you were. I was in autopilot, literally one. I mean, it had been going on. I don't know how long you experienced yours, but this was 20 years. It was my way of functioning. There was no other. I didn't think that I was ever going to be any different. I'd accept it as the way I was. There was no way that anyone was ever going to find out because it was that was what the pain was, that I was living a lie, a lie. That's so uncomfortable. And it doesn't matter what the lie is. It's about like you were saying earlier about the integrity with yourself, mm-hmm. that that was the real reason that you were so dark and depressed is because you were living a lie and I was there too. So will you tell us what helped transition you from that place to a place where you become what you are today? Mm. So we don't always have to go into a really, really dark place to come out, but mine was. So I'd had twin boys that were born IVF, They were born three months early. They were in hospital for three months in intensive care for periods of time. 
And then it was a couple of, it was both, they were about three years old and one of them was diagnosed. So I'd managed it for a period of time. So because I couldn't fall pregnant naturally, I had numerous miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies. So they put, they, they sent me down the IVF path. Fortunately for me, I was able to fall pregnant straight away, but I was on bed rest. I was in the hospital from six months and then I had them born three months early. So I was managing the bulimia then because I, the desire to have kids was more powerful than this desire to continue managing my weight. When one of the boys who then became, was then diagnosed with high-functioning autism when he was three and a half, his behaviour from about the age of 18 months was really, really, really challenging. Like the stuff, the tantrums, explosive, unable to, uh, it just pushed all my pain points and the bulimia came back. It was about six months after he was diagnosed that a friend who's one of my closest friends now had been to see a kinesiologist. I didn't even know what kinesiology was. And I found myself in the middle of the kinder um, reception one morning and I just broke down. I didn't really know this girl that well. And I was like, I just, I need some help. But it wasn't help for me. It was help still for him. Right. Well, because you can't help. Yeah. And that's the thing, especially as mothers, you know, you're a mother of three boys and so am I. And my youngest has got a lot of medical stuff and he's sick right now. And I got to tell you that I, I call my mom because we were talking about him. And I said, you know, I never talked to you about this, but I'm sick too, but I never have time to talk about it because who has time to talk about yourself when you're taking care of your kids. So you're in the middle of that talking about your son and you realize that you need help. Well, no. So I was talking about him because I didn't, I still, I was coming back. I was so disconnected from me. I didn't know that I needed help. Mm. That's how disconnected I was. There was no question. So you're aware that you're unwell. I was not even knowing. I was just so outside of my body. So what had me go to this kinesiologist, it was during this session when she turned it back around and she said, your son, all he needs is your love but first you must learn to love you and it makes me cry every single time because I was never told (laughs) that was never shown to me and that was 14 13 and a half 14 years ago 13 and that sent me on a completely different trajectory. That was like the awakening of something other than what I had been able to see. So I drove home in excitement and a sense of nervousness and I sat on the couch with my then husband and told him. And he was so beautiful, Carly. He said to me, I said, do do you think, you know, all the things I'm discussing, he's like, darling, whatever he called me, Bunny, I think he used to call me, you're still you. And he was extraordinary for the, you know, over that course of me, then going down this completely different path. I'd been working in real estate with him and I got out of that pretty quickly. And then there's, there was just a long process of healing. I then studied kinesiology for three years because it had been so instrumental in me waking up thinking I'd be a kinesiologist. Of course, I got to the other side, practice mm-hmm. and went, no, that was for me, not mm-hmm. for me to use that right. with others. 
learned EFT, thought I'd practice that and work with people. No, no, that was for me as another tool. And so it's more so since I separated, I would say, over the past two years that's launched me into a different phase of knowing that I went down a lot of rabbit holes in the healing, but there was still an element of me thinking there was something to fix, Mm. to improve, to be better. If I could learn to love the things, there was a lot of things to love. I could love those, but what I am now understanding, like fully and knowing, is to love all aspects of self. Because there's nothing to fix. Like you said from the beginning, there's nothing to fix. No. So my that tantruming child that comes out at times, how can I meet her with love? The woman that was standing in the kitchen as I was sharing with you the other day, getting furious with the universe for not supporting me financially. Did I beat her up for it? Did I judge her? Did I? No, no, no. I was like, oh, darling, I love you. Because she's all of us. And if we don't love her as she is, then how can I do that with you? When Mm. you are like that, I have Mm. to, we have to have that permission. I'm so excited about this. And before we close, after we do the lightning round, I want you to share with everyone how we can connect with you and how we can follow you because you have so much to offer. I want to know if you would share your quotation that you brought. And I think it's from your Uh, book. It is. And actually, I think it's also on my website. I love it. It's a roomy quote. I love Rumi is one of my favorite. (laughs) Rumi and Neruda. I've just got all of them together. Go for it. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Will you say it again? Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. I love that so much. It's not about, so it goes so well with one of my deep beliefs which is that the Michelang- Michelangelo is the artist. I always get this wrong when I tell it. And David was the piece of art that he created. And I don't know whether the story is true or not, but I love the story behind it. And he was asked, how did you create the David? And he said, he did not create the David. He just removed whatever was not David. And mm. that's what that quote gives me, right? So it's not that we need to fix anything. We just need to remove whatever is not true anymore. So mm. for me for the eating and body and food stuff, what was no longer true anymore was I, this is not serving me, Mm. right? This is no longer serving me. I want to feel healthy and strong and, and fit and proud and not focus all my energy on this area. This doesn't work anymore. Did you have that kind of awakening as you were learning to love yourself and learning to find all of this along the way? Mm. The greatest thing that I, use or the the, sort of my the way that I've come about is how can I meet how can I meet all the aspects that I may have judged with love all the things that arise from fear inside myself every criticism every judgment every should have you know need to how can I meet each time I'm separate from love how can I meet that aspect of self with love There's nothing to do but to continue to meet those aspects with love. I love that so much. Are you ready for lightning round, Lisa? Yeah. What's lightning round? Lightning round is where I ask (laughs) you really quick questions and you don't think about it. You just tell me. Okay. So if you could go back to that teenager that was in that school where she didn't feel pretty enough and she didn't feel enough 
And then she just kind of went on that path. If you had like an hour, what would you say to her? Oh, darling, I love you so much. You are not meant to fit in, in the words that, in that way. You are not here to fit in. Mm. There's nothing wrong with you. You are safe. You are held. Everything is turning out for you. I think that there's nothing wrong with you is one of the most powerful things that our teenagers and our, our younger people need to hear. I'm doing anonymous questions for muscle cell for teenagers, and they are heartbreaking. And they, the overwhelming feeling of not just body stuff, forget that, like they have gender, they have sexuality, and then this massive weight of succeeding and getting specific points and grades and scores and where are you going to go? And the questions that the adults around them are asking of them, where are you going to school? What are you doing? How are your scores? What are your grades? What are you majoring in? And Mm -hmm. if that's all we're talking to people about, then they believe that the only thing that matters is that level of success, right? Just like I've talked to many women who were told they were given attention for how cute they were or how pretty they were. And so when that changed, they didn't know who they were anymore. When people Mm -hmm. stopped talking Mm -hmm. to them about, you know, so, Mm -hmm. oh, darling, I love you so much. There's nothing wrong with you. In terms of your body right now, what would you like to get let go of in terms of judging? Just to be, there's not so much anything to do with my body, just to not be attached to it. Yeah. What would your 80-year-old self say to you now? You go, girl. (laughs) You go, girl. I love it. I can't wait to I can't wait to know her. (laughs) What is beautiful to you? Ah, connection. Loving, deep connection. What does it mean to be a strong woman? Living your life fully expressed, enjoy. What do you want others to say about you? She is the embodiment of love. That is awesome. Last two, you have nine months left to live. You just found this out right now. What are you gonna do with the rest of your time? I'm gonna get up on stage and I'm I'm gonna speak. I'm going to channel more transmissions, more love. Yeah. Well, that was the most clear and and quickest (laughs) answer you've had so far. So I think the universe (laughs) is telling you something. Last words, Lisa, you get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening to hear. What do you want them to know? Oh, I'm thinking too much, aren't I? So Mm -hmm. let me just go back in. You are greater than your minds and you are greater than your body. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for you. Tell us how we can find you, where we can find your book, where we can connect with you. As I said at the start, I would love for anyone, I mean, I've only got a certain number of books left, (laughs) but if anyone would like my book for free, any of your listeners, all they need to do is pay for the postage, send me an email and I will send it 
to you. It's called the Dawn of Hope, as I said, one woman's back to love, one woman's path back to love. And essentially it's the story of what led me to develop bulimia, but also the things that I created for my life, the thing, the practices, the things that I needed to transform that relationship with self from self-loathing to self-love. Now, four years on, obviously, as we just shared, very different, but it was self-love, very much more love than it was loathing. So that's available. What um, email? Also, what email so I can include it in the show notes? Lisa, Lisa at com. Okay, I'll include that. That's also on my website, which is lisawinicky.com. They can contact, they can check out there. My show, all the links are on the website. It's also the YouTube is the Good News Guide. So it's not under Lisa Winicky. And the podcast is also Lisa Winicky. I am going, to, I've also uh, created a, as I said, my first ever transmission. I don't want to call it a meditation. And it's paired with frequency music composed by science music. It is quite unique. Very, very, the music is very powerful. Um, and that's available on my website. So all they need to do is pop in their details and they'll receive that free 10-minute um, transmission, which is really a returning home to self. We are going to see and hear, Lisa. I mean, this is just the <laughs> beginning. I just, it's like watching something take off and soar. I can't wait. I'm so grateful. And the shocking thing is, this is the second time in our life we've spoken. And it's like <laughs> we're old pals. So thank you so much for being here. Mm, thank you so much, Carly. And I'm just looking as I'm saying goodbye and this word keeps popping out from above your head, which is God. I yeah. love it. Yeah, that's my artwork. I That's my wall of it. Yeah, that's what wow. must love self. That's the podcast. That's yeah. the cover. You know what it is? I never knew why I was doing this. I was cutting out, furiously cutting out pieces of words and images that were my heart and my soul and people would drop off their used magazines and I would just paste them and glue them and glitter them. And then one day I was like, they need to all be together. And mm. then I couldn't figure out how to get them on the wall together. And I put <laughs> holes in every part of my wall. And then I'm like, no, I just need to stick them to the wall. And then, yeah. then must love self happen. And it's just our lives. We, we get to make into a beautiful tapestry, mm -hmm. right? Yes. I'm so grateful you're in my life. I can't wait to connect with you more and watch you soar. There's nothing wrong with us. No, we Thank are you. divine. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La 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 la